Inside Florida Politics, powered by Gannett. Governor DeSantis signs legislation banning transgender athletes from competing in women's sports. Democrat Nikki Free jumps into the governor's race. And Florida's $101 billion budget gets the governor's approval. Hello, I'm Sarasota Herald Tribune political editor Zach Anderson, and those are some of the stories I'll be discussing this week with Gannett State Capitol reporter John Kennedy and Palm Beach Post politics editor Antonio Finns. But first... That music means it's number time. Gentlemen, uh, you got some numbers for us today. How about you, Antonio? Well, yes, I'm back from vacation and I got a number 50 that speaks to more vacations. All right. And how about you, John? Zach, my number this week is two. It's baseball season, as in go for two. All right. And my number is 1.3 million. Remember those numbers, folks. We'll tell you what they mean in Florida politics at the end of the show. Well, Florida is joining the growing number of conservative states that are prohibiting transgender female athletes from competing in women's sports. DeSantis said he wants to, quote, protect fairness in women's sports. LGBTQ advocates slammed the bill, saying it discriminates against transgender children. John, this is a fight that DeSantis really seems eager to have. He obviously thinks this is a winning issue. He even uh, sort of gleefully thumbed his nose at the NCAA over the threat of boycotts. Yeah, DeSantis uh, signed the transgender bill, uh, you know, banning transgender athletes from uh, playing high school and college sports. He did it on June 1st, the first day of Pride Month. Uh, an important time for the LGBTQ uh, community. Uh, DeSantis, though, said he wasn't sending any kind of message, but uh, these things don't happen without an understanding of timing. So it's clear there was some intent there. Now, for DeSantis, what the intent may be is just, you know, again, getting that national spotlight turned on to him, uh, you know, to get noticed by conservative voters. Um, you know, as if there wasn't a strong enough uh, Fox News angle to the story, DeSantis turned the microphone over to a young Connecticut woman, uh, Selena Soul, who was a high school track athlete who sued the state of Connecticut over its uh, policy allowing transgender girls and women to compete against uh, girls in in, in track meets and uh, and other athletic uh, competitions. Uh, she, she's been a, a, a semi-regular on Fox News's uh, Tucker Carlson, uh, at least appearing on the show a few times. And she's complained that she faced uh, unfair competition, that, that that's really the overarching claim that's driving the legislation. And uh, DeSantis even stepped aside to allow video footage to be showed, uh, you know, of a a transgender Connecticut girl winning track meets, which uh, the governor and his supporters kind of, you know, shook their collective heads and looked mad about. Um, You know, all told, it's portrayed as a uh, woman power bill to a degree. And uh, some 30 states, you know, all uh, with heavy Republican backing have uh, introduced these kind of bills. But uh, like so many things that seem to be driving the base that was so tied to former President Trump, it, it kind of implies something that is a it, it, that something is a crisis that doesn't seem to be so much of a crisis. What does it say, John, that they had to bring in somebody from Connecticut? I mean, there, there's been no um, uh, evidence of this being an issue in Florida at this point, has there? Yeah, no. They're, they're, when when approved by the Republican-controlled state legislature back in April, uh, lawmakers struggled to find any examples of transgender girls or women competing in Florida sports. Nobody could really come up with a, uh, you know, actual example of this being an issue in Florida. But uh, supporters insist that, you know, if it did happen, the transgender athletes would have an unfair advantage. 
And, uh, you know, as, as you may suggest, the, the law also has a twofer effect for DeSantis. He is uh, defying the NCAA and many corporations who have uh, condemned these laws as discriminatory. The, uh, the NCAA has even talked about moving championships out of states that uh, enact these kind of uh, barriers, but, but the governor seems ready to test that. In fact, ju- just a day after he signed the bill, his campaign sent out a fundraising email touting how the governor will never allow woke corporations to dictate the policies in Florida. That's, that, that's never in all caps. Um, so, you know, the, the new law is going to require public schools and universities to have athletes compete according to their sex assigned at birth rather than their gender identity. And it's uh, going to take effect on July 1st. But like a lot of DeSantis's legislative agenda, the new Florida law will face a, a legal challenge uh, because, you know, within moments of DeSantis's action, the human rights campaign, uh, which is an LGBTQ advocacy organization, they said it, it, it plans to sue to stop the measure, saying it's driven by their quote was discriminatory intent and not supported by fact. What do you, we've talked about this before, John, but this does seem to be another one of those issues where DeSantis is really kind of checking a box in terms of, you know, some of the most hot button sort of conservative um, culture war issues across the country, right? Oh, yeah. We've, we've seen that so far with, uh, you know, he, he's been dragged into court so far on, uh, you know, many of the bills that he has signed, the elections bill, the social media bill. Uh, this transgender bill now is certain to go into court. Um, so, yeah, he, he's the, uh, the anti-riot bill, the anti-riot bill. Yep. That, that's another one that has uh, been brought into federal the court. Social as well. media bill. I mean, it, uh, there's a lot of them. Yeah. But, you know, he's getting mileage as a uh, defender of, uh, you know, these kind of traditional values that it seems like uh, uh, the the Trump base is uh, very much adhered to. And uh, I think this, you know, this this clash with uh, the libs is also uh, something that he's looking for, you know, that that helps uh, burnish his uh, image nationwide where he uh, is, is, is defying a lot of these, you know, ACLUs. Uh, mainstream media, uh, LGBTQ organizations, you know, all that. So uh, I, I think it's a, it's kind of a win-win for DeSantis right now. Yeah, I mean, uh, regardless of, uh, you know, what people think of the, the policy, it does seem like the politics so far for DeSantis have been working by uh, picking some of these fights. Well, among those criticizing DeSantis over the transgender bill was Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Freed, a Democrat who made her campaign for governor official this week. Freed surprised a lot of people when she came out of nowhere to win the agriculture commissioner job in 2018. But before she became Florida's only statewide elected Democrat, Freed worked as a marijuana lobbyist, not really the traditional path to higher office in Florida. Antonio, can Freed pull off another upset in the governor's race? Well, no, well, certainly there is plenty of reason to believe so, I mean, at least in the Democratic primary that will take place in a little more than a year from now. Look, she is, like you mentioned, she's one of, what, two or three Democrats to have won a statewide race in Florida this century. So that much she has in her favor. And she's also been very savvy in getting herself attention from challenging you know, Governor Ron DeSantis on pandemic and budget issues to even little things like posting her picture on those stickers that are slapped on gasoline station pumps. The more important question is, what do Florida Democrats want in their 2020, 2022 nominee? We've talked about re- the Republican civil war, 
But Florida Democrats have also been fighting their own internecine conflicts between centrists and progressives, and, and for even longer. So the more intriguing question is not whether Freed can win, but what is her path to winning the Democratic nomination just over a year? Does she play to Florida's Democratic progressives, or does she run closer to the center? And can she invigorate that green electorate? Yeah, not, not the renewable energy crowd, but the, uh, the Florida voters who legalized cannabis at the ballot box and who arguably helped propel Freed, like you mentioned, Zach, a, a cannabis lobbyist, to that narrow win as Commissioner of Agriculture and Consumer Services back in 2018. What do you think about that? You know, I was talking to Aubrey Jewett, who's a political science professor at the University of uh, Central Florida, and he's kind of skeptical that, you know, the marijuana issue, that there's sort of enough single issue marijuana voters out there, I mean, to to make a huge difference in the governor's race. I mean, Freed really um, w put that uh, at the front of her campaign for agriculture commissioner. She's continued to uh, beat the drum for marijuana uh, legalization at this point. Uh, you know, it, it it is an issue that, you know, sort of voters who might not, you know, pay close attention to a lot of other political stuff might, it is something that that they might, um, you know, not to stereotype, uh, you know, uh, potheads, but I mean, you know, it, it might uh, cause them to pay attention uh, to, uh, you know, if, if uh, you know, this is potential for legalization. Um, it, but, uh, you know, do you think that that is enough of an issue that to, um, you know, kind of make her stand out and, and have a competitive uh, edge, uh, you know, in, in the governor's race? I'm not sure. I mean, that's a, it's a really good question. Uh, the, well, for, you know, for example, is there enough out there left for that electorate that really wants that they could be energized? Or, you know, given how Florida has already moved so far toward legalizing cannabis, do they feel that they got what they wanted? And that, and that that's all. To, we see that across the, the board in all kinds of issues that those single issue voters, once they get pretty much what they're looking for or enough of what they want, they kind of diffuse as an electorate. One key thing we're going to find out is money. You know, is is there going to is that electorate and, and the companies that and their lobbyists who still have still, who still have wants out there? Are they going to help fund Nikki Fried's campaign this past week, for example? Her rival, the uh, former Republican governor and now Democratic Congressman Charlie Chris, reported that he had raised already one and a half million in the last in the month since he jumped into the race and now has two million dollars in the bank. Now, that's a pittance compared to what incumbent Governor Ron DeSantis has in his campaign war chest. But it's still a sizable head start in the, in the Democratic field for Chris. Uh, and Freed may have a broader platform today, um, but. Even do do Florida Florida Democrats, even those who are that familiar with her, do they really know what she believes? Now, all that said, it's really early, and we don't even know if other candidates will enter the race. I, and I will say this: in the past four gubernatorial elections, going back to 2006, Democrats have alternated between fairly established candidates and newcomers, and all four lost. So the challenge isn't so much the candidates and their ideological positions. But the get out the vote effort, DeSantis has been whipping up his base. We just you, you just heard John. You guys just talked about, you know, the, on this transgender bill that's he's whipping up the base. 
can Democrats match that enthusiasm too? What do you think? I mean, um, there, there's things about um, the freed that uh, you know might excite uh, Democrats. Uh, you know, she's she's younger. She's 43. Um, you know, she's a female candidate. Um, there haven't been a lot of, of those uh, in in Florida for for um, statewide office. I mean, she does seem, you know, a little bit more tuned into issues like, uh, you know, marijuana that uh, you know, younger voters might care about. Does she, uh, but at the same time, some people have questioned, you know, maybe whether she has some conflicts of interest in the marijuana industry, being a lobbyist. And also, I mean, she had to amend her financial uh, disclosure uh, before filing uh, that she didn't report a uh, certain amount of uh, income uh, that she had received. I mean, uh, there's potentially some baggage there uh, in her past uh, work. What, what do you think, Antonio? Is she somebody that could um, excite Democrats? You know, look, I think so. But the question here, when we're talking about the Democratic primary, can she excite the core of the Democratic Party base, a core group, which is black voters? Um, and in the past, in these midterm elections, um, many of the Democratic nominees for the governor, other than Andrew Gillum, have not given African-American voters in Florida a, a, a reason to really go out and vote for them. And in the general election, when they went up against a Republican incumbent, they weren't and they these Democratic nominees just didn't do enough to get to, you know, to chip away at the Hispanic electorate that has been over the years more and more in the Republican nominee's corner. And I, I think those are the, the, the key questions. Now, the question here is that her fortunes or whomever the Democratic gubernatorial nominee's fortunes are in November of 2022 may depend less on that than whether Congresswoman Val Demings of Orlando is at the top of the ticket challenging Marco Rubio. Because Val Demings, who's African-American, a former police chief, uh, someone who's got a lot of attention because her work on the Judiciary Committee and the Congress and, and the Trump impeachments and so forth, uh, Val Demings may well, well, you imagine would, if she were the Democratic nominee for U.S. Senator, would drive a lot of uh, black voter interest. And that may filter down, down ballot because you would have you know, the U.S. Senate race at the top of the ballot, followed by the governor's race. So that might help whoever the Democratic nominee is. Yeah, those are all really good points, Antonio. And but for for the for Val Demings, I mean, that would be in the general election. Uh, in the primary, it'll be interesting to see whether, you know, Freed can make inroads. I mean, African-American voters are, are huge uh, in Democratic primaries uh, as well. And uh, Charlie Crist has a you know, maybe more of a longstanding uh, relationship uh, with black voters in Florida. Yeah. It was known even when he was a Republican uh, as relatively progressive progressive on racial issues. So, um, you know, that, that'll be an important point to watch. And when he launched his campaign for governor, he went to a black neighborhood in, in St. Petersburg. And, um, you know, so he, he was very much signaling that, uh, you know, his path to the nomination uh, goes through the black community. And so that's going to be 
something that Freed is going to have to work on. While DeSantis also drew attention this week for signing the state budget for the fiscal year that starts next month, uh, the governor uh, vetoed $1.5 billion in a move um, that saw him reject some federal stimulus money, but the budget was still loaded with stimulus dollars. John, what stands out about this year's spending plan? Well, the budget is huge, <laughs> thanks to uh, federal money. It's uh, $101.5 billion, the first time the state budget ever topped $100 billion, and it's uh, 10% bigger than the current year budget, which uh, expires at the end of this month. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, DeSantis uh, did veto $1.5 billion, but a lot of that was uh, in a single $1 billion emergency response fund that uh, the legislature created uh, using all federal money and which the legislature was uh, basically violating the uh, Biden administration guidelines for its use. Uh, beyond that, uh, DeSantis didn't really veto all that much more, though uh, some some of the vetoes uh, have gotten some attention uh, for uh, a, a number of uh, items that were related to the LGBTQ community, as a matter of fact, that um, uh, in the greater Orlando area that uh, has drawn some, you know, kind of out rage from people there. Um, but, uh, you know, speaking of these uh, these Biden bucks, uh, Florida's budget is, is is really plumped up by a ton of it. Uh, the, the budget includes almost $7 billion in federal aid that was already received for schools and to uh, cover the state's Medicaid enrollment, which uh, now provides health care for 4.6 million Floridians. That's that's more than one in five residents which uh, says something about this economy in Florida. Uh, those numbers have spiked with the pandemic's uh, job layoffs. Uh, the, the budget also directs another $6.7 billion from the Biden administration's American Rescue Plan for public works projects, uh, environmental programs, and into reserves as well, which the, the budget now also swells to what DeSantis said Wednesday could be about $10 billion by July 1st. So uh, there's a lot of money still you know, kind of tucked away in uh, couch cushions by the, uh, the the Republican legislature, too. Um, every Republican in the U.S. House and Senate voted against the American Rescue Plan. But what we're seeing is Florida's Republican-led legislature finding ample ways to spend the state share. And uh, DeSantis, who is seen as a potential White House uh, candidate, you know, in 2024, he, he took some time Wednesday uh, after signing the budget to criticize the Washington spending which, uh, you know, has helped Florida avoid these budget woes right now. But, you know, hypocrisy aside, there is money in the budget for just about everything. Uh, that's something uh, Democrats tried to remind people about after the governor signed it. Uh, DeSantis didn't say anything nice about Joe Biden, but uh, Democrats sure tried to uh, remind people that the money that that is kind of bolstering this uh, Florida budget and keeping us from facing some real difficulties now uh, is from Washington. Uh, we've mentioned before that the uh, the Biden money uh, lets the governor spend more on the environment, on roads and public works projects, which could be job creators, even climate change resiliency, which is something the Republicans uh, had, had failed to do and had really defied for many years. And uh, DeSantis also was able to hand out $1,000 bonuses for first responders, teachers, correctional officers, and many more. You know, all that spending earns I think DeSantis, some credit with voters, which is maybe not a good thing for Democrats. Uh, it's going to be hard for many voters to discern that, you know, are they doing better because of DeSantis or that guy in the White House? 
especially as DeSantis keeps up the narrative that Florida's economy is doing so well because he refused to close schools and lock down businesses. Uh, that, that has given him a steady talking point to, you know, bash New York and California. So while it's, it's, it's great to see the state spending back on its feet in Florida, you know, obviously that's a good economic driver. Uh, Democrats may worry now that it only bolsters the governor's reelection chances. Yeah, and, and Democrats are kind of continue to cry foul and, and send out press releases saying that, hey, he shouldn't be taking credit for this money. A lot of it came from the federal government. But for the average person, um, you know, that, that you're right that uh, it, they might uh, find that hard to uh, discern. Uh, Antonio, any thoughts on this budget? So the uh, turkey shoot here in the Palm Beaches have been met with some uh, consternation, you know, besides the fact that the you know, Democratic Federal lawmakers here have been very upset about the fact that uh, DeSantis is taking money from Washington and then claiming it as, as his own. Now we have the vetoing of a lot of money for the county out of the, the $100 billion plus budget. Of the $1.5 million of spending that was sliced out of the budget by DeSantis, some $6 million were earmarked for Palm Beach County projects. Of that total, $3 million had been approved by lawmakers for an infrastructure plan. Other money had been allocated for social services items like uh, meeting the needs of low-income seniors and assistance for teen delinquents. Now, ordinarily, turkey, uh, turkey axing out of the budget is one of those end-of-the-legislature moments, and, and it is expected. Those who lose funding for their projects lament it. Those whose dollars are spared are relieved. This year, though, in Palm Beach County, there are rumblings that maybe, just maybe, the invisible hand of vindictive politics was at play. We don't know that for certain, but we do know that there has been discernible political friction between the governor and this still politically blue county in the past year. A good amount of that flintiness has stemmed from disagreements over the pandemic management, from differences of view over business closures and reopenings to mask requirements to even early vaccination efforts. Uh, there's been widespread unhappiness among Democrats with the governor's scheduling of a special election to fill the seat of the late Congressman Alcee Hastings as well. Other flashpoints have been more politically charged. In February, county officials irked the governor by not lowering flags to honor conservative radio host Rush Limbaugh, a county resident, after he passed away from cancer. Palm Beach County is also home to freshman state representative Omari Hardy, who has been a vocal DeSantis and GOP critic during his short stint in the legislature. Hardy was interviewed in a 60-minute segment earlier this year that took aim at the governor, and that really got under DeSantis' skin. So when folks here saw that Palm Beach County had a high seven-figure turkey kill in this year's budget, courtesy of DeSantis' veto pen, murmurs circulated. Now, I will say that back in 2019, DeSantis, before all the recent jousting between him and some county officials, the governor also vetoed some big projects for, that were aimed for the county, including a $3 million community center for the western part of, uh, of, of Palm Beach County. And, you know, DeSantis has an, an ally down here. The county mayor, uh, Dave Kerner, has, has been, you know, somewhat of an ally to DeSantis and defended him, but particularly in the 60 Minutes uh, case. But... You know, having said all that, this year's turkey kill isn't that unusual, but we are getting closer and closer to next year's elections and perhaps political overtones are descending across the state and the county. And so, gentlemen, the, cal the calendar reads 2021, but the mood here in Palm Beach County feels a lot more like 2022. 
All right, some budget intrigue in Palm Beach County. We'll move on to our numbers here. John, you had a a slim uh, two for us? I did. And two are the number of seats which separate Governor Ron DeSantis from Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Freed on the dais in the cabinet room in the lower level of the state capitol. These two politicians were already at odds on a lot of policy issues, but now they're opponents with Freed officially jumping into the governor's race this week. So it's uh, going to likely make uh, for some, you know, even testier exchanges at cabinet meetings. Their their next meeting is June 15th, and the three-person independently elected cabinet meets with the governor roughly once a month to go over a host of state matters, uh, you know, deciding land purchases, tracking the state's pension investments, uh, hearing reports from the Florida Department of Law Enforcement, and uh, other issues that kind of make it sort of like a county commission for state government. But like any panel, uh, it, it's always a little strange when you have two people running against each other. And uh, Freed's challenge to DeSantis is the is the first time a cabinet member is challenging a seated governor in Florida in 27 years. Uh, back in 1994, then Republican Secretary of State Jim Smith was running against uh, Democrat uh, Governor Lawton Childs. The, the, Childs became Florida's last elected Democratic governor. Uh, the Secretary of State was still a cabinet post then. It isn't anymore since a reorganization of the cabinet made it an appointed position in, since 2003. Uh, Smith then, uh, he did not win the Republican nomination, though. That went to Jeb Bush, who lost to Childs before coming back four years later and uh, finally winning the uh, governor's office, where he uh, served two terms. But, uh, you know, just as Childs was the last Democratic governor, Nikki Freed now is the lone statewide elected Democrat in Florida. And uh, the only other time in a relatively recent vintage that we've had a couple of cabinet members uh, squaring off was in 2006, when uh, then Attorney General Charlie Crist and Chief Financial Officer Tom Gallagher were rivals for the Republican nomination for governor that year. Uh, Crist won, and uh, he went on to become the state's Republican governor for one term. Well, now you can fast forward to this week, and with Freed in for governor, her leading rival for the Democratic nomination is none other than Charlie Crist, now a Democratic member of Congress. Um, You know, I know know this is uh, about as easy to follow as uh, the old who's on first routine, but uh, two seats apart, DeSantis and Freed. But, uh, you know, all told, it might as well be a mile in the way they think. All right. Could be some awkward uh, cabinet meetings uh, over the next uh, 18 months or so. If you see a a plexiglass partition up, it's not a legacy of COVID. It's just maybe that uh, Nikki Freed and and Ron DeSantis need a little barrier between them. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Antonio, you had a, a 50. Tell us about that. Yeah, well, we just got through uh, Memorial Day and the kickoff of the summer travel season. So let's talk about more vacations here. Uh, 50 is the maximum number of passengers that the Grand Classica cruise ship will carry on its so-called test sail to Grand Bahama Island later this month. Bahamas Paradise Cruise Line, which owns the Grand Classica, got approval from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention for the test sail, the first step in resuming of cruise ship voyages. Uh, it's it, which were shut down, if you all recall, back in March of 2020 to stem the coronavirus pandemic and have been largely shut down, even as many other tourism businesses have been able to reopen. This morning, in fact, as we are speaking, the Bahamas Paradise Company is welcoming the return of the Grand Classica ship to its berth at the Port of Palm Beach. So the way it works is 
If all goes well in a, this test sale, meaning that there is satisfactory adherence to health protocols, then a cruise line can resume regular scheduled voyages. So Bahamas Paradise will set the uh, Grand Classica out on June 25th. Uh, this landmark moment of its test sale, plans call, assuming it all goes well, uh, plans call for the Grand Classica to begin carrying a limited capacity of 300 passengers and 300 crew members each cruise starting July 2nd. Now, let's be clear, that is a limited number. The ship has capacity for 1,700 passengers and about 500 crew members. So it's, you know, the 300 number, uh, once they start cruising, uh, assuming they start cruising July 2nd, it's going to be much lower than what uh, full capacity. Now, other cruise lines like Celebrity are scheduled for their test sailings at about the same time. Now, listeners of this podcast know that the resumption of the cruise industry has been a complicated saga that crosses economic, public health, and political fault lines. Even as the industry is within a month of getting back in business, those fault lines are still there in seismic proportions. There are a lot of jobs at stake here in Florida. There is a lot of revenue on the line in, ter in terms of tourism. And there are a lot of public health questions, questions that are in part because of politics, specifically the insistence from the governor and now a state law that bans businesses from the use of so-called vaccine passports to select customers. That law prohibits cruise lines from narrowing their passenger manifest to those people who show proof they have been vaccinated. Compliance with that law, judging from a story this week by the Palm Beach Post, Wendy Rhodes, is still a bit fuzzy, but it looks like at least initially there is accommodation, at least enough accommodation to get the ships back out on blue water for these test sailings and perhaps more limited sailings after that. There is also an important distinction here. Paradise, Bahamas Paradise offers just two night cruises, not prolonged seven day or 10 day or two week cruises. So their challenge is comparatively less and difficult than other cruise lines. Still, the question is to what extent and for how long the concerns about public health and the politics of the state ban on vaccine passports will hamstring capacity on the ships and therefore constrain the hiring back of employees to get back to full employment. Allowing the use of vaccine passports would promote confidence among the public and help cruise lines ramp up faster and help them take on more passengers safely and boost their financial fortunes and allow them to hire more. But that's an issue we've discussed plenty. For now, folks, ahoy, mates. It's almost time to get back on the high seas. All right. Uh, uh, important test case for the, the cruise industry here, but there's still a lot of politics around this. My number is 1.3 million. That's how much Democrat Charlie Crist raised in his first month of campaigning for governor. Antonio earlier mentioned 1.5 million. About 200,000 of that, though, was from uh, a rollover from Crist's uh, congressional campaign. Chris was eager to tout the fundraising hall yesterday as Nikki Freed jumped into the Democratic primary for governor. Freed might be the fresh new face, but Chris fundraising shows there are advantages to having been in the political process for nearly three decades. Freed raised about 2.5 million total for her 2018 race. She's going to need to ramp that up considerably to take on Christ, who has better name recognition and is known as a fundraising juggernaut. That wraps up another episode of Inside Florida Politics. I want to thank our audio production guru, Thomas Cordy, and thanks to all of you for listening. We're out of here.